That was a blessing. I hope and pray the Lord was honored and praised. Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you. I want to mention two quick announcements. First of all, the women's breakfast is this Saturday, and there's maybe a misunderstanding out there. It just happened again this morning. Someone said, oh, I'd love to come, but I, I don't have a friend to bring. It's not just for you to bring a friend as an outreach. It will be for all of the ladies of our church. So if you haven't signed up, there are tables in the back afterward, or you can sign up online. But be in prayer. Pastor Bob's wife, Janet, is going to be sharing a message on coming home for Christmas. So ladies, I know you'll enjoy it. And um, so if you were holding back because you don't have somebody to bring, don't let that stop you. And then also this Thursday night, for those who may have lost a loved one, especially in the holidays, it's a tough time. And so there's a special grieving um, ministry on Thursday night for those who are grieving the loss of a loved one in the holidays. So with that, I'll ask our guys to come. If you need a Bible, guys or girls, I'm not sure who's bringing them, but if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. This morning, we're continuing our study of the doctrines of the faith. The idea here is this is sort of like a, a template to help you to read your Bible, okay? So what we want you to do is be reading the Word of God verse by verse. We teach through books of the Bible. This is how God works in our lives. But sometimes you need to step back and get an overview, like, like a, a framework. John Calvin wrote a series of books called The Institutes of the Christian Religion, and, and he said, you know, if you refer to these, then as you're reading the Bible, you can kind of work back and forth. So we've been going through the doctrines of the Christian faith. We've talked about God, the Bible, man and sin, Christ. Now today we're going to move to the next doctrine, which is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We're going to try that. Ah, oh, there we go. Okay, so here's what we're going to talk about over the next two weeks. We're going to talk about the deity of the Spirit, that He's God, that He's a person. And then what was He doing in the Old Testament? And then what happened when Jesus came? What is this new covenant work of the Spirit? And then what are the gifts of the Spirit? That's important because the Bible speaks of us having the gifts and the power of the Spirit at work in our lives. And then the present ministries of the Spirit, like being filled and and the different aspects of the Spirit in helping us witness and pray and so forth. So today we're going to do the first four of them. Next week we'll do the last two. So let's pray and then even now we'll depend on the Holy Spirit to teach us. Father, you told us as believers when we gather that the Spirit of God empowers the body of Christ, indwells the body of Christ, equips us, and is even our teacher. We know it is his role to point us to Jesus. So may he work through the word of God to equip all of us to walk with Jesus and to grow and understand this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. To begin with, let's talk about, ah, this thing's going to be a, a trouble, I think, maybe not. All right, his deity. Okay? Remember when we learned the definition of the Trinity, we said there's only one true God. That's what the Bible teaches. But he exists in three equal and eternal persons. So it's not like God the Father is like, I'm lonely, let me create a son and a spirit. All three of them have always existed together. They have the same nature. This is mysterious. Like, how can there be one God with three persons? But even though they have the same nature, they're distinct in certain roles. For example, what did each one do in, in creation? But perhaps the place where you see the, the distinctness of each one of the members' role is in, in our salvation. Notice that the Bible seems to teach that God the Father was the planner of our salvation. So if you're a Christian this morning, 
Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who chose us in him before the foundation of the world. The Father planned to send his Son and planned to save you. But it was Christ, God's Son, who willingly, voluntarily came down to earth to purchase our salvation. We talked about that last week. It was Jesus who hung on that cross to redeem us. Not the Holy Spirit, not the Father. But even that would not have completed our salvation because what he did on a hill far away would be meaningless unless the Holy Spirit applies salvation to us. He had to convict me and open my eyes and regenerate me so that I could come into a faith relationship with Christ. So let's start with this idea of the the Holy Spirit being God. He's not just a force, but he's divine. There are numerous ways to, to, to... go about this, but probably the simplest verse is in Acts chapter 5, when Ananias lied to Peter. Peter said to him, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, right? But notice down at the end of this passage, he said, Ananias, you didn't lie to men, you lied to God. Okay, so just mark that down. The Spirit is God. But as you think about the Spirit, it's important to understand that. uh, Do we have another clicker? Because I'm beaten. Yeah, it's on. Uh, Yeah, I don't know what the problem is. The other one worked a little better. This one's fried. Um, But anyway, so can can you click the next slide for now, Rob? Okay, let's talk about the Spirit being a person. Okay, this is important. So if, if, if you have studied with the Jehovah's Witnesses or you've interacted with them, they don't believe the Holy Spirit is a separate person. They just believe when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, that's just another way of speaking of God's power, kind of a force, but not a person, okay? So they don't believe in the, the, the Trinity. Thanks, let's try this one. Don't, don't break that. Okay, don't yeah, that. all right, thanks a lot. Is that uh, I don't know, I haven't tried it yet. I'll let you know, thanks for asking. <laughs> all right, thanks. Yep. Okay, so the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit, don't call him an it, don't call the Holy Spirit, it was working. He's a person, okay? Persons can think and feel and make choices. So the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has a mind. When, when he prays for us, the Bible says, God knows what is the mind of the Spirit. And the Spirit thinks and interacts with the Father and the Son. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, who knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of man? But the Bible says, who knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God? He knows and thinks, okay? Now, he also has emotions. Again, it's not just a spooky force out there, but when we do something that is not pleasing to God as a Christian, it makes him sad. So Paul says in Ephesians 4, don't let unwholesome words come out of your mouth. We'll come back to that. So when I say things that I shouldn't be saying, verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So, so he's, he, he, he has emotions, all right? He's a thinking being. Now, interestingly, one of the, the great things about the Spirit of God is he pours out gifts upon the church. And that's really important that you and I are in touch with the manifestations and work of the Spirit of God. I think sometimes as Americans, we, we, we ignore him. As though we don't need him. A.W. Tozer once said, the church in America 
I think if the Holy Ghost left them, it would take them a month to even realize it. So, as Paul thinks about how the Spirit works in our midst, he goes, there's a variety of gifts. Every one of you has different gifts from the Spirit if you're a Christian. There are a variety of ministries. The Spirit of God moves in different people, different burdens, different abilities, different passions, but it's the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects of the Spirit, but it's the same God. He's working in every Christian. <clears throat> but verse 7 says, to each one of us is given the manifestation of the Spirit. If you're a Christian, God gave you the Spirit, but guess what? Not for you, but for the common good. So the Spirit has, has given you abilities that He wants you to use to help everybody else. Now, when the Spirit chose to give you those gifts, give you those gifts, He didn't take a survey or, or offer you a buffet. So just, just help yourself. Instead, it says, one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one, just as he will. So he looks down, he goes, all right, I'm saving Tom Allen. Let me give him the gift of teaching. I'm not the only one he gave it. He gave it to many of you, right? So, so I know that the Spirit of God is this, this divine person who, <clears throat> who is, is, is thinking, feeling, and choosing. Now, from there, we'll talk about what he was doing in the Old Testament. I apologize. Um, we'll get this fixed. Um, what was he doing in the Old Testament? Well, he comes on the scene pretty early in the show, right? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But verse 2 says that the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. So the, the, the earth is covered with water. It says the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. Now, what exactly was he doing? Hard to say. But, but I think the implication is that he was involved in some capacity at creation. But as time went on, we learned another thing that he did, and that is, we, we've learned that when Adam and Eve, Eve sinned, they became corrupted. And so their first two kids, Cain and Abel, Cain kills his brother and this race of rebels begins to multiply, and, and it makes God sad that people are so wicked and rebellious. And there came a time in Genesis 6 where he was, he was worn out, so to speak, from, from trying to prevent them from being as bad as they could be. And so God said in Genesis 6, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. So, so somehow the Holy Spirit was like like the security guard on Black Friday at Walmart, right? Trying to hold the people back. He, he somehow in this mysterious way prevents people from being as bad as they could be. If you have an idea in your mind that, that humans are basically good people, get rid of that idea. It's a terrible idea. It's not true. And one of the ways you can prove that is watch what happens when the power goes out or, or, and the, the flood happens and the police can't get there. People are far worse than we think, but God has provided the restraining work of the Spirit plus the restraining forces of government and police. The Bible says God gave us that to, pre to prevent and punish evil. What else was he doing? Well, this is an interesting... He's, I hope he's giving me patience because I'm ready to throw this thing. Okay. Um, and this is no blame on our people. They're doing a great job. Um, he selectively indwelled certain individuals for service. So in the Old Testament, from time to time, God would, would have a job for someone to do, and he would, 
he would indwell them to do something for God. So, for example, when God told them to build the tabernacle, there were some really intricate pieces of furniture. God didn't say, just wing it. He said, make it exactly like I'm showing you. Here's the blueprints. Now, do it just like this. So God said, see, I've called my name Bezalel, the son of Uri of the tribe of Judah. I've filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom to do what? For craftsmanship. So you're reading along, and the phrase that you'll frequently see when God's describing the Spirit's work in the Old Testament, it'll say, the Spirit of God came upon him. The Spirit of God came upon him. You'll, you'll see this a lot in the book of Judges, right? Samson, the Spirit of God came upon him. Gideon, the Spirit of God came upon him. And then Saul, the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily when he heard these words and he became angry. Not because the Spirit came upon him, but because of what he had just heard. So, in the Old Testament, he would selectively come inside of individuals for service to empower them to do something. He didn't live inside of all of them. And sometimes, due to their disobedience, he would leave them. Perhaps one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament was Saul, the anointed king of Israel, who started out so humble and walking with God. But the Bible says... Due to his disobedience, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And then an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Wow, that's, that's, a, that's a sad thought that, that having once been empowered by the spirit, the spirit left him for his disobedience. Now, King David, as a young man <clears throat> ministering to Saul, he was observing things. He, he knew the spirit of God came upon Saul. He knew the spirit of God departed from Saul because of his sin. So later in David's life, we learn that the Spirit of God came upon him. God anointed him with the Holy Spirit to be the king. But when he sinned against God grievously, committing adultery with Bathsheba, and when he went and had Uriah murdered, when he finally came to grips with his sin and was brought to repentance, he wrote Psalm 51 in which he asked God not to take the Holy Spirit from him. He said to God, and, and this is interesting because Benjamin just read Psalm 32. It's a parallel psalm probably to this, to this psalm, and it's, it's a great psalm. If you've ever really felt like, man, I really messed up, and I need God's forgiveness, Psalm 51 is, is our food and drink to say, oh God, restore me. I, I really messed up. So David prayed. He said, Lord, create in me a clean heart, oh God. He knew he needed God to fix his will. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence, Lord. Don't, don't, don't discard me. And particularly, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. So, so you can see that the Spirit of God would be removed from people. And notice that, 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 that in this time of sin, he was in sadness and sorrow. So he said, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Maybe some of you need to hear that this morning. You're away from Christ and, and your heart's heavy because of your sin. That's not the only reason we have heavy hearts, but sometimes it is. And, and you can get hope from this verse. God, restore me, sustain me with a willing spirit. Because what the devil wants all Christians to believe is if you mess up, you're off the team and God's done with you. And God can't use you anymore. And that's exactly opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if you repent with a contrite heart, God's not done with you. David said, then I will teach transgressors your ways. See, David's like, restore me, God, to, to repentance and faith 
so that I can go out and invite others. One sinner, bringing another back to God. And you can do that. Don't, don't let Satan drag you to live in the rearview mirror and say, you're a loser, a failure, God can't use you. Repent, confess, ask God to cleanse you and restore you. And then ask him to lead you to others so that you can point them to Christ. So, that's how he worked in the Old Testament, particularly under what the Bible calls the Old Covenant. Remember when God established the nation of Israel, through Moses, he made a covenant, a contract with them. He gave them his commandments. And then he said, if you obey me, I will bless you. And the Bible says he made a covenant with them, Exodus chapter 18 and 19, well, actually chapter 19. And so the Bible calls that the Old Covenant. But as we read the story of the Old Testament, we, we start looking at the way the, the Israelites lived. We're like, wow, they didn't do so hot. They kept disobeying and rebelling against God. And so God began to prophesy through the prophets that the Messiah would come and make a new covenant with the people. Jeremiah 31 says it like this. Behold, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like the old covenant which they broke, which was written in stone. But he says, this time I'm going to make a new covenant. I'm going to write it on their hearts. And so the Old Testament prophets began to predict that when this new age, this new covenant, when this Messiah came, that it's going to include with it a wonderful new work of the Holy Spirit, different from what he was doing in the past. That's why we're so blessed to live in the new covenant age because we experience the Spirit of God in profoundly new ways. So, for example, the prophet Joel. And by the way, Peter quoted this verse at Pentecost when they're like, how come these guys are speaking in tongues? Are they drunk? And Peter goes, no, this is what Joel wrote about. The Old Testament prophets predicted the new covenant and new work of the Spirit. It'll come about after this, God said, I'll pour out my Spirit on all of mankind. Sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on male and female servants, says it again, I'll pour out my spirit. So, so they began to anticipate something's going to happen in the new covenant. Listen to how Ezekiel said, I love this verse. And frankly, I think that this verse is what Jesus was referring to when he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, you need to be born of water and the spirit. Nicodemus what? He, he, sh he should have known. The Old Testament prophet said, God predicted, in the last days I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. This, this passage talks about when this will be in the last days. I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from your idols. And obviously that's a metaphor. So, so when, when, when Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born of water, I think he's simply saying, you need to be washed from your sin. You know this, Nicodemus. You know this passage. You need to be born of water and the spirit. Notice verse 26. Moreover, I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. And he says this. I will put my spirit within you. Now, we might want to put a sign out front. Heart transplants performed here. All insurance is accepted, right? Now, some of you, you may like your stony heart. You like doing things your way, and you don't want anybody disrupting your life. But when the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin, and you go, I want to change, I can't change, that's when you come to realize that becoming born again is a wonderful blessing, because God puts a new hard drive in our soul, and all of a sudden, 
I want to obey God. I want to love Jesus. Why? Did I just wake up someday and turn over a new leaf? No. The Holy Spirit did a powerful work. And if that's what you long for, it's what God wants to do in your life. And if you're a Christian, he already did it. So, new covenant, new work of the Spirit. So when Jesus is on earth, he goes, hey, new covenant. You know this passage, when Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he, he, he said to the disciples, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So the new covenant had numerous promises. But one of them was that the Spirit of God would do something powerful, profoundly different in this age. So, Jesus, knowing this, began to prepare his disciples that same night. He's like, okay, let's talk about the Holy Spirit. As he initiated the new covenant, he spoke of this new covenant work of the Spirit. He's like, guys, listen, when I go back to heaven, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper that he may be with you. Now notice, forever. Make a note of that. The Spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because they don't see him, they don't know him. But you know him. Well, how do I know him? Because he abides with you. Right? So all along, the Spirit of God has always been with God's people. But notice in the New Covenant, says Jesus says, he's with you, but he will be in you. Okay? That's profound. So don't think that the Holy Spirit was up in heaven going, oh, I can't wait to come down to earth. Look at that stuff. Isn't it neat? I want to be part of your world. No, he's always been everywhere. The Bible says, where shall I go from your spirit? But the new covenant, God was going to put the spirit of God inside of us. In the new covenant, he's saying, look, he's with you, but he'll be in you. So with that in mind, when did that start? Well, think about Pentecost. Jesus goes back to heaven, but he tells the disciples, don't do anything. Just pray and wait till you're baptized in the spirit. Wait till you receive Power from the Spirit. So on Pentecost, as they're gathered together in prayer, there's suddenly this rushing wind. And notice what it says. There appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues. Now, we're going to talk about that next week. I don't think we all should expect that experience. Okay? But what I do want you to see is that's when this new covenant work of the Spirit began. Pentecost. And now, ever since then, this is how God works in the lives of believers. He pours out His Spirit so that it's important for you to understand that when you became a Christian, God poured out His Spirit on you and the Holy Spirit came to indwell you. You're like, what? Well, I don't remember that. I don't remember being born, do you? I had to learn later and put the pieces together. Same thing with the Spirit. So Paul says in Romans chapter 8, if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Okay? To belong to Christ is to be saved, is to be a Christian. How do I belong to Christ? You give your life to him. You allow him to buy you by his blood. Right? So this is just another phrase for being saved. Are you saved? Yes. So if someone says to you, are you saved? And then they say, do you have the Holy Spirit? You say, well, why are you asking me that? It says, if I don't have the Spirit of Christ, I don't belong to him. I belong to Christ. I have the Spirit of Christ. Now you say, why are you going there, Pastor? Well, because 
I'm going to talk about the fact that not all Christians believe you receive the Spirit right away. And we're going to talk about that. But what I'm, I'm suggesting that the Bible teaches is the moment you're saved, the Spirit of God indwells you. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. The moment you belong to Christ, he's in. All right? You didn't have to have a quiver in your liver. Or something happened. He just came to live in you. Okay? And he'll never leave you. The Bible tells us that when you listen to the message of truth, maybe, maybe you were six years old at Backyard Bible Club and someone explained that Jesus died for your sins. Maybe it was over coffee with a friend. Maybe it was sitting here one Sunday morning when God opened your eyes. But when you believe the gospel, verse 13 says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise and, and God put the Spirit in you as a pledge, a down payment of the inheritance with a view to the redemption of his possession, to the praise of his glory. He put the Spirit in you permanently until he comes back to take you home. So, there are some, not all, but some charismatic and Pentecostal believers teach that you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit sometime after conversion. And when this happens, you'll speak in tongues. Now, let me clarify a couple of things. Number one, these are brothers and sisters in Christ. These are not false teachers. They have a different view. Some of you may hold this view, but I'll explain to you from the Bible why I don't agree with this. So some of them teach that you don't even receive the Spirit until sometime later when you're baptized by the Spirit. Others teach that you receive the Spirit at conversion, but sometimes later you have to have an experience called baptism of the Spirit, and then you're going to speak in tongues. Okay? I'm going to suggest that that, in my judgment, and I'll say this humbly, you search the Scriptures with me, Three reasons why I think that's incorrect. <clears throat> Number one, you receive the Spirit at conversion. Okay? So, Paul says, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Him. So, if someone says to you, hey, are you saved? Yeah. Did you receive the Spirit? You're like, yeah. It says, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Him. So, that's the first thing. You go, wait a minute. Why would somebody tell me you could get the Spirit later? Well, in the book of Acts, there was a couple times I didn't get the Spirit later. Yeah, the book of Acts was a transitional time. Nobody had the Spirit at the beginning of Acts, yet those men were saved, but God poured out the Spirit in Acts 2, and there were a couple times where they didn't get the Spirit right away, but there were unique circumstances. By the time Paul wrote Romans, he goes, look, everybody has a Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ, so it's that conversion. But that's not the only reason I, I, I think they're incorrect. The second reason is, if you tell someone the only way you'll know if you have the Spirit is you'll speak in tongues, right? Then you're doing a great disservice to people for a number of reasons. One of them being the Bible teaches that not everyone speaks in tongues. And I've seen it. I had another person come to me today. She goes, I, I, I grew up in, in this teaching and I, and I was pretty much felt like an inferior Christian because I never spoke in tongues. So some churches will tell you, you know, just keep praying. Come on, we'll, we'll pray over you. And, you know, and they'll even teach you how. And, and so there are a lot of people out there trying to have this experience. And I'm going, it's not what the Bible teaches. Don't worry about speaking in tongues. That is not the only way you can know the Spirit of God indwells you. You know the Spirit of God indwells you because the Bible says so. Okay? And not everyone speaks in tongues. Okay? But there's a third reason why I think they're confused by saying you get saved and then later you're baptized by the Spirit and then you speak in tongues. And that is, I believe the Bible clearly teaches 
all believers are baptized by the Spirit at conversion. Okay? So, so perhaps it's terminology, but I'm going to use biblical terminology. If you're going to tell somebody you should look for another experience later on, which I don't even agree with that necessarily until we qualify it, don't call it baptism of the Spirit. Okay? Because baptism of the Spirit, which Jesus predicted, right, takes place at conversion. You're like, well, where does the Bible say that? Well, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he had not been there for some time. And they had a lot of little house churches, of which any one of those house churches could have had a number of new converts that Paul hasn't even met yet. But he writes to the entire Christian community in Corinth, and he says this, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Nothing there about speaking in tongues. You were baptized into one body. We were all made to drink of one spirit. Notice the emphasis on all. He says it twice. Now, here's, here's where I think you can figure this out. If Paul did not believe you were baptized by the spirit at conversion, he wouldn't have said that. Because there might be a guy in that assembly that just got saved three days ago. He would say, by one spirit, some of us were baptized. Now, the rest of you, keep praying for it. You'll get it one of these days, right? The fact that he tells a Christian community that he doesn't even know who all of the converts are. If I were to say to you, the Bible says we all have a gift of the spirit, then I have to say it comes at conversion. Because otherwise, I'd say some of you have it, but the others have to wait for it. So I think the Bible's clear. You don't have to pray for a baptism of the Spirit. You already have the Spirit. You were baptized into the body of Christ the moment you believed you were made to drink of the Spirit. He came to indwell in you. Okay? You follow me on that? So, now, there are experiences later that Christians can have. The Bible doesn't call that being baptized by the Spirit. The Bible calls that being filled by the Spirit, okay? And that's a different thing. So all Christians are indwelled by the Spirit. So I think our sincere Pentecostal and charismatic brothers and sisters perhaps are confusing the ongoing filling or a special filling of the Spirit with either indwelling or baptism of the Spirit. I think that's where the confusion is. All Christians are indwelled. The Spirit's in you, okay? But you can have experiences throughout your Christian life where there's something dynamic that happens, okay? It doesn't need to be in tongues, but, but here's an example. In the book of Acts, these are people who already have the Spirit in them. This is not Pentecost. This is later on, they, they're persecuted and they gather for a prayer meeting and they ask God to give them power to preach the word. And it says, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, these people already had the Holy Spirit in them, okay? So here's where some of the confusion is. All believers are indwelled by the Spirit. Not all believers are filled with the Spirit. You're like, I thought it was the same thing. It's not the same thing. Indwelling of the Spirit is true for all of us. But filling of the Spirit, in the New Testament, there are two types of filling in the Spirit. So, so just think about this. As I'm reading the book of Acts, it'll say, and then Peter was filled with the Spirit. So he had this 
dynamic experience where he was empowered to do something, okay? But there's another passage in Ephesians, and we're going to talk much more about this next week, where the Bible says this, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, okay? Now, that's a commandment, okay? If all believers were all filled with the Spirit all the time, God wouldn't command us to be filled with the Spirit, okay? So to be filled with the Spirit has more of, and we'll talk about how you're yielded to Him, you're controlled by Him. So don't think of the Spirit like gasoline, like I'm a little low, I need to get filled with the Spirit. You don't need to get more of the Spirit. He gets more of you and me when we surrender to Him and He empowers and controls us. And you don't necessarily have to have this dynamic experience where you jump up and down and... I, and, and I'm not saying that there's anything bad about that, but I think it's misleading if people are like, well, I didn't have that, right? So, next Sunday, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. The Bible says each one of us has a gift of the Spirit. We're going to talk about those gifts, and we're going to talk about even the phrase tongues and healings and some of these miraculous signs. Christians have different, Christians have different views on that. This is not something we divide over, Okay. But God wants you to discover your gift and he wants you to use it. So be praying this week about that. We're going to talk next week about the fruit of the Spirit. As you and I walk in the Spirit, the Bible says we won't carry out the desires of the flesh and, and we'll bear fruit, love, joy, peace, and patience. We're going to talk about the empowerment of the Spirit. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And so you learn how to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about grieving the Spirit and quenching the spirit. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians, don't quench the spirit. Picture, picture the spirit wanting you to be on fire for the Lord and, and you throwing the old wet dishcloth on it. But I don't want to do that. I'm not. You resist the spirit and grieve him and quench him or forbid him or, or hinder him from working in our church or we're empowered by the spirit. And then finally, in both Ephesians 6 and in the book of Jude, it mentions praying in the spirit. What does that mean? So hopefully you'll be here next week, even if it's a nice day at the beach, right? You can say, I'm going to, I want to learn about the Holy Spirit, okay? So now what? I borrow a phrase from Haddon Robinson, his book on preaching. Do you have a ghost of a clue? You're like, okay, so what's this mean, right? Well, I want you to think about how significant it is to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay? We're fumbling around like blind men if we didn't have the word of God to say, Lord, teach me how the spirit works. So here's some things that we can do this week. Number one, you and I can thank and praise God often for giving you his Holy Spirit. This Thanksgiving, probably about 20 of um, our family got together and many of them are unbelievers. And so I just said, hey, listen, before I pray, let's, let's all go around and say something we're thankful for. I'm thankful for family, thankful for family, thankful for family. And my little six-year-old granddaughter goes, I'm thankful for God. We're all like, yeah, we're clapping for it. Wow, right? How about this? I'm thankful, God, that you have poured out your spirit on me. That's a gift. God's given you more than one gift. Every good gift comes from above. Jesus came from heaven, but that's not the only thing. So the Jewish believers in, in the beginning of the early church, it was pretty much mostly Jews, and they thought, wow, this new covenant gift of the Spirit that God promised us Jews, we got it. And then God goes, well, actually, um, I'm going to be pouring the Spirit out on Gentiles too. 
And they're like, wait, what? All the, un, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. And I don't know about you. I think I do know this. I'm glad for that. I'm thankful that God is still pouring out his spirit on every believer. Boom, he's in you. Living water that wants to flow out of your belly and bring life to others. So this week, just God, I praise you for your love and grace. But thank you for giving me the spirit. And then I want to learn to be more sensitive to the spirit. This here little opening has tremendous power for good or evil. So Paul says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. That word in the original languages is rotten speech, garbage, right? All kind of garbage comes out of our mouth. Criticism, complaining, sexual innu innuendos, angry outbursts, gossip. On and on it goes, just foolishness. The Bible says in multitude of words, sinning is unavoidable. On the other hand, our mouth, our words have tremendous power to encourage, to lift up a hurting soul, to, to give a word that will strengthen someone. So Paul says, only let words come out of your mouth, such as is good for edification, to build others up according to the need of the moment. So this week, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Lord, if there's somebody that I could say an encouraging word to, just lead me, Lord. That word made, and we've all had that happen, right? Something's going on in our life, and, and the Holy Spirit speaks through someone else. A word of comfort, a scripture, a prayer. So be sensitive this week. As Mother used to tell us, you could have gone all day without saying that, right? Some of you were like, hey, how about if I stop letting rotten stuff come out of my mouth? You're like, oh, it's just how I am. No, it's not. That's the flesh. Spirit lives in you. So God, through the Holy Spirit, Help me to let good things come out of my mouth and be pleasing to the Spirit because when garbage comes out, look at verse 30. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So this week, Lord, use my speech not to grieve you, but to bless others. And you know, it doesn't have to stop with your speech. Your limbs, your hands can be helpful. Your feet. The Bible says, don't you know that your whole body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? So glorify God with your body. So let's be sensitive this week. Lord, may the Holy Spirit use me as a vessel to bless others, to give a word. And then third, this week, begin to think about how we're going to learn in the days to come to depend more on the Spirit. How am I going to depend on the Spirit to help me not to sin? Remember when we learned about the flesh? The Bible says, that those who are in the flesh can't please God. It's that evil disposition that wants to rebel. And, and, and the flesh has been crucified in a Christian. But there's still remaining sin. I still feel these lusts, these urges, these desires to disobey God. In fact, I'm very saddened and ashamed that this week I lost my temper. Not because I'm some holy person, but I was graced with a personality. I don't get angry very often. Doesn't mean I'm better than you. I struggle with sin just like everybody does, right? But we all have different areas. But this one took me by surprise, and I just burst out in anger, right? And I didn't curse, but I said, I, was, I raised my voice. I was, and it's like, what just happened there, right? Any time we can give in to the flesh if we're not learning how to walk by the Spirit, 
watching and praying that we won't give in to, to the flesh in its many manifestations. And so we're going to learn next week about how the Spirit helps us. Now, I want to back up here. I think I skipped a slide. Yeah, next week, we're going to talk about some of these things. But there's one last thing I wanted to, to mention here, okay? And that is this. Pray, pray more to be learning more about the Spirit, how to be filled, what are your gifts, how does the Spirit help me witness. We prayed this morning, a bunch of us prayed together, and Austin prayed, Lord, Ephesians 3, strengthen us with power through the Spirit. It's right out of the Bible. So that Christ might dwell in our hearts and we would know the love of Christ and be filled with the fullness of God. You can pray that. But one last question. Have you received the gift of the Spirit? As Peter was preaching, he said something profound in the book of Acts. As you read the book of Acts, the, the, the preachers would say, hey, repent and come to Christ and you'll receive the Spirit. The promise of the Spirit is for you. And so Peter said, as he spoke of the death and resurrection of Christ, we're witnesses and, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to who? To those who obey him. You see, when you come to church, it's not just information, right? It's an invitation to respond to God, right? You either choose to obey God or you resist and you say, no, I'm not doing that, okay? So the gospel is a, is a call to sinners. You need to turn to Christ and in willing heart obey God by putting your faith and trust in Christ, renouncing your good works renouncing if you've lived a life of sin, whether you're a religious sinner trying to get to heaven on your own, or you're an irreligious sinner going, I don't care about God. You obey God by saying, Lord, I do believe Jesus died for me. I'm willing for you to change me. I'm willing to turn and trust in Christ. And the Bible says when you do that, God gives the Holy Spirit to you. Now for some of you, you need to think long and hard. Are you willing to turn to Christ? This is not become a good person. This is not turn over a new leaf. This is a decision of the will. God, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I've tried to save myself or I didn't want to be saved, but now I do. I'm willing to give my life to Christ. I believe that Jesus died for me and I want to receive the gift of the Spirit. If I were to talk to you one-on-one -on -one and you said to me, I don't want to do that, I guarantee you whatever reason you gave me why you don't want to do that, I would probably say to you, that's not a good reason. You might say, well, I don't know. I don't want to give up this. That's not a good reason. What good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Oh, I'll do it later. That's not a good reason. The Bible says don't boast about tomorrow. You don't know what a day will bring forth. The Bible says now is the day of salvation. So I want to invite you as a seeker or explorer or somebody who just said, I never did that. To make that decision of your will to just say, Lord Jesus, I'm willing. I want to be saved. I believe that you died and rose again. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Put your spirit inside of me. The rest of you, praise God. We have the spirit. And let's pray that as a church, we'll go forward seeing God's spirit glorify our Lord Jesus. Amen? All right, let's pray. If God has spoken to your heart, and you want to receive God's spirit because you were willing to respond to the gospel, the best you know how. Don't worry about cleaning up your life. Just be willing to turn to Jesus and believe that he can fix you.
and he will forgive you. Just say something to the Lord in your heart like this. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I need to be saved. And the best I know how, I give my life to you. And by faith, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I want to receive your forgiveness and gift of salvation all by your grace. Please let your Holy Spirit come and indwell me and may my life be deeply changed from this day forth. Forgive me of my sins as I become a follower of you. If you prayed that prayer with every head bowed, I just want to pray for you and then I'm going to ask you to come see me. Anybody can come see me with questions or comments, but if you prayed that prayer and you want to receive Christ today, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Is there anybody just look up at me? I won't delay this. Had someone in the first service, we came and talked afterwards. Anybody at all, you say, I want to choose to follow Christ today. Amen, amen. We'll talk to you guys afterward. Anybody else? Okay, Father, thank you so much for the Spirit's work in our midst. You're showing us that the gospel is not persuasive words of wisdom, but the Spirit's power as Christ is preached. We glorify you and look forward to how the Spirit will use us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Be in prayer, and we'll see you all, Lord willing next week. Me, so